Well, if this is your first time this summer, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, and I've issued a couple challenges for you. I invite you to read the entire Sermon on the Mount each week during this summer series. It's just three chapters. Uh, you can read a few passages uh, each day, or if you want to do it in one sitting, you can actually read it in 15 minutes or less. And I've also issued a challenge. Anyone that's willing to really put in the work, if you memorize the Sermon on the Mount, I will take you out to a nice dinner. And uh, you laugh, but we've got some people who are working on it, so uh, I, that's money well spent in my book. And if you even come close, I'll take you out to dinner, okay? Well, two weeks ago, we started at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus shares that he intends for these words, as radical as they sometimes sound, to be taken seriously. Last week, we shared the Beatitudes and, and offered a different take that for the people who had gathered to come and hear Jesus, this was good news, fresh news, exciting news, because he declared there to be the kingdom of God, especially those who are poor in spirit, which probably represented well on that hill that came to hear Jesus' sermon. This week, we're going to learn that Jesus didn't just take that crowd and pat them on the head and pray for them. He gave them a job to do. He called them salt and light. He called them to know that they are to be that city on a hill. They have a responsibility to live in to what God has called them to be. Next week, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in depth. But what they heard on that hill when he called them salt and light was really nothing new. It wasn't a new concept. It's simply a more vivid description of what God had given to their ancestors, to Abraham before them, when they made the covenant with Israel and said, to your descendants, I will bless them so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. And that's what Jesus is saying in more concrete ways to that crowd who gathered. He was affirming them. He was declaring that they are something special, that they are chosen just as their ancestors were chosen in spite of the status that they might have in the world in which they live. He called them salt. Now today, we have to monitor our salt. I've got high blood pressure. I have to do a little monitoring of that. But in ancient times, salt was a valuable commodity. Matter of fact, in some places, it was even used as currency. It was used to preserve meats and fish. It even had even more significance to the Israelites because they had this prohibition in their Torah not to eat blood, any food that had blood in it. So they'd use the salt to help remove the blood so that it would be richly clean for them. So much so that salt even became a symbol for the temple when they made their sacrifices. It was also used for healing, for cleansing of ailments, and to treat certain skin conditions. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he is saying so much more than just you are a nice spice to flavor things up. He's saying you are essential to life. You're essential to this world. And it was symbolic of the bond between Israel and God. And that's only reinforced when he goes on to talk about being the light of the world. Now, how many of you here have seen the musical Godspell? Very good. Godspell was a musical that came out in 1971. It started off Broadway, but became so popular it continued on Broadway, and then was played in many, many places. And then it was reissued again in a revival 
in 2011 and 2012. So those of you that have heard the Godswell musical, you might recognize this song. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. But if that light's under a bushel, <coughs> it's lost something kind of crucial. You've got the same light to be the light of the world. You are the earth, not the earth. Does that ring any bells? Yeah, yeah. So you kind of picture the scene, and if you remember that musical, the cast typically would go out into the crowd. So Reverend Rob McCoy in Moline, Illinois, his church put on Godspell. And he shares this story that came from that, uh, that experience, and he describes how the director happened to be the same person that was playing Jesus. So he goes out into the crowd, and the cast has moved out among them, and they're singing, you are the light of the world, and they single somebody out. Sometimes even have him stand up while the whole cast sings to him. And then he'd come over to another person and say, you are a city on the hill. And then he says when they did that number of that day, it was right before intermission, and then came one last person who was right at the back of the, of the sanctuary and said, you are the light of the world. And they shut it down for the intermission. He said it was better than they'd ever done it in any of the rehearsals. And after the show, he says, the woman that they sang that song to at the back of the sanctuary came up to him and said, I want to thank you for, for putting on this musical. She said, I, I inherited this playbill of the musical. Always kind of wonder what it was like. I even had an album that I've never played. When I saw it in the newspaper, I decided that I, I needed to go. And, and it was just wonderfully done. Thank you for sharing that music. Well, the next day was church, and the pastor was kind of excited about all the buzz that happened last night. And he was talking to one of his ushers. And they were talking about how so many people that didn't go to their church showed up for that musical. And he started telling about that one woman who'd come and talked to him and thanked him. And, and the usher said, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. As a matter of fact, when intermission hit and I was ushering, I, I saw her and, and kind of jokingly said, you are the salt. of, You are the light of the world. And she looked at me as if she was somebody who was kind of looking for something. And she said somewhat emotional, no one has ever called me that before. And the pastor heard those words, no one has ever called me that before. Well, that's exactly how the people who came to hear Jesus on that hill would have responded. Nobody has called us the light of the world before. And then don't miss the nice twist that Jesus does when he says that there is a city on a hill. It adds a nice touch to what he's trying to tell that crowd on that day. Picture yourself going through Palestine, that terrain, rolling hills, and rocky footpaths, and you've gone a journey probably for several days. Maybe the city on the hill is Jerusalem because it is a city on the hill. And you start seeing as the sun's going down, and your journey's about to end, the light's starting to pop up one by one. Because in a city, more than one light is required. And Jesus is trying to say to us that we are more than the story of one person. That our lights are, are best shine upon the world when we shine together, when we live together, when we work together, when we love together, we truly become the light of the world. 
And this is so important because I'm afraid that in our history, Christianity has kind of seen its role as only that of moral influence. We see our sole role as trying to somehow be so different from the world, which is important to salt and light. But sometimes we've taken that to the wrong extreme. You've probably heard that phrase, be in the world but not of it. That's a paraphrase of what's found in the Jesus prayer that's in the 17th chapter of John 14 through 19. But I don't think it's a very good paraphrase because it starts out with a negative. It starts out the idea that this world's a bad place and we've got to do everything we can to keep from being corrupted from it. I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to say in that prayer he gave to those disciples before he was to be crucified. And so it's led to this consequence of, of the church trying to withdraw itself, probably most pronounced in the monastic movement in the Middle Ages. It also created this negative view of our bodies and our flesh and, and this physical world that we are a part of. I've seen it in more modern times even. Many churches seem to create this alternative reality that for everything that you can do in the world, we want to create a Christian alternative to it. And so we do a number of things. We withdraw by having those venues and activities that we want for our families. For a while there, it seemed every church must have a family life center. And you'd have Christian music and Christian concerts and Christian radio and start basketball and soccer leagues, which probably serve a certain purpose. But if that's taken to an extreme, too extensively, you've got to ask that question. Who's, if you have all the best Christians just staying huddled together inside the church walls and in Christian activities, who's going to take the word, the good news, to this world that we know needs so much and so desperately needs the good news? Where will those relationships be developed? Where will they come from? We do need to be salt that is a little different from the world. We do need to be a light that penetrates its complete darkness. But we have to make sure that we're a part of this world. I think maybe the best paraphrase of this passage would be not of this world, but sent into it has a much different feel. Now, salt and light do their job the best when they penetrate, right? Salt that's rubbed into meat, light in complete darkness, illuminates and changes that reality instantly. Randy Harris gives us a good, a good concept, I think, that helps us understand this. He talks about Christians ought to be embedded. The phrase comes from our Middle Eastern wars where reporters would often embed themselves in a patrol so that they could describe well the reality that they were experiencing and the military allowed that to take place. And so we should try to be embedded. I think we've done this well in many ways here at Noblesville First. Our vision has helped us move in that direction. Rooted in love, connecting people, planting seeds of hope. And we've done this in many ways. We've certainly done it as a congregation when we go to White River Elementary School and serve as mentors for the Kids Hope Program or we serve as a volunteer in the classroom. We've lived it out uh, when we go to Riverview Hospital. Anytime you go make a pastoral call, 
How many times we see our people there as volunteers? We see it lived out as we help with Noblesville Main Street that tries to organize community events to add to that life here in Noblesville. Our United Methodist women have done it with our first responders by bringing hospitality a couple times a year. Let them know how appreciated they are. Every first Sunday of the month, we take communion to Riverwalk Commons. We take it not just to our members, but to those that don't have an opportunity to take communion that belong to other churches. And I've even seen it lived out with our staff. Pastor Aaron, not only is a good father, as we celebrate this Father's Day, by coaching his daughter's soccer team, but because of that witness to the community, he has even had some people come to church because of that experience. Aaron and Dick also are part of the Lions Club, and I know they don't do it just because they're looking for something else to do. But they believe it's important to establish those relationships. I've had the same experience with the Noblesville Chamber of Commerce. And I've seen you do it as you volunteer for your children's scout activities, and sporting activities, you are embedded in that world as well. And that is such a very good thing. And when we do it, God can do so many wonderful things. I remember when I was down in New Albany, the first year I moved in, where my children were going to elementary school, I was told that the girls' basketball position was open. And apparently they couldn't find a teacher that really had the skills or interest in doing that. And I was encouraged to apply, and so I did and got the job. Gave me the privilege of coaching all three of my daughters through their elementary years. And I got to make a lot of connections with a lot of kids and families. Well, one particular Sunday, I, I noticed a couple came in and sat in the back. And I knew them because their son had played on the boys' basketball team. They came back the next Sunday, and they had a second couple with them. They came back the third Sunday, and there were four couples and all their children. They even eventually had a fifth family that would come at least once in a while. And all told, there was 20-some people. And they were a fun group to be around. They invited us to go to some of their cookouts. And I remember one occasion we started talking about how they got started coming to church. And Debbie Johnson, who was the kind of ringleader of that group, said, Well, I had gotten out of the habit of going to church, and it had been many years since I'd been. I grew up in church. My husband's Catholic. That wasn't quite my cup of tea. And I noticed that you... We're an okay guy. And I figured, you're all right out there. Maybe you might be okay as a pastor. And she showed up. Now, isn't it amazing that God can do that kind of stuff? 20 people showing up, filling up a couple of pews just because I could coach basketball. Something I had a little passion for. Did my best not to embarrass myself. I, I think I avoided the technical through those years there. But God blesses those opportunities if we put ourselves out there, embedding ourselves in our community. We saw it again last week as we were at annual conference. We had one of our uh, sessions had a choir from Roberts Park United Methodist Church. They're called Matthew's Voices, based upon the 25th chapter of Matthew. What's unique about this choir, it wasn't many voices, I think there was a dozen there that day, is it's primarily made up of homeless population that comes to Roberts Park. There was an article about them in the Indianapolis Star uh, in 2016. It was started by Jason Fishbourne, who was the choir director. He had heard of the idea from a couple of churches in Atlanta and Dallas. And because they have a group of people coming in for a free meal each week, they thought, what a great opportunity. And so they got to just invite people to come, nothing required. 
sing simple songs. They had a few of their choir members that would help be the core to help that, that choir kind of have its nucleus. And they've been singing for some two plus years and weren't too bad. Jason Fishbourne describes it as a lot of times the homeless population are underserved, unloved, and untouched. This is an opportunity for them to experience the arts and experience community. They are embedded. And the last point I want to make to you is that notice how Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He doesn't say you should be the salt of the earth. He doesn't say that this is what you got to do to become the light of the world. He says you are. They are already. He's declaring to them that just like Abraham before them, that they are chosen by God. They are already his people. Now, that made me think about, Randy Harris kind of jogged my thoughts about this, about weddings. I've had a couple weddings the last couple weekends, and, and, and I enjoy weddings. I enjoy when couples dig in there, and we make some progress with counseling, and, and we make the connection, and so it becomes something I, I look forward to celebrating that union. I love the connections and the people I get to know. But you know, the, the best part for this pastor when you do a wedding is that part when it says after they've exchanged their vows and after they've exchanged rings, and then you say, I declare by the power invested in me by a minister of this church that so-and-so and so-and-so are husband and wife in the, name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We've declared a new reality. Now, do you think when you state those words, that that young man knows what it means to be a husband yet? Do you think that young woman, when you declare her to be wife joined to this man, knows what it means to be a wife yet? No, there's nothing magical about those words, except we've declared a new reality and invited them to live into that each and every day for the rest of their lives. And that's what Jesus does when he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's a scary and sometimes overwhelming call. But it's something that we start where we are, put ourselves out there, and God will bless it in amazing ways. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Be that city on a hill. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the honor you bestow upon all of us as we come and respond to your declaration that we are salt and light to this world. Help us to live into it in each and every way. Help us to put ourselves out there and embed ourselves in our community and the lives of others. May we invest ourselves in this world that you have declared to be good. May we be your people. Amen.